If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We started looking at 1 Samuel last week, and the the goal is to look at, not necessarily to go word for word, uh, like we did Revelation uh, not too long ago, but to really look at some of these people that are mentioned in the Word, look at their life, look at their story, and how does that relate to us? What does that mean for us? How do we apply what we're seeing to our own lives? So as we're thinking about today, specifically, my question to you is this. Where do you choose to find joy? Where do you choose to find joy? We all want joy. We all want to be happy. We want to be positive, or at least most people do. Obviously, there are some people who thrive off controversy, thrive off sorrow, or being felt sorry for, or seek a victim mentality because everyone's out to get them. But I think for the most part, people just want to be happy. They want to be joyful. The sad reality is that for most, they seek it in everything but the source. They seek joy in other places besides the source of joy. And Hannah, who will be the focus of our sermon today, shows us how we should seek joy. If you remember last week, if not, we'll catch you up to the story. We talked about Hannah and that she has a problem. She cannot have children, at least not at this particular moment. Elkanah, her husband, married Hannah, loved her dearly, but... They decided she couldn't have children, so instead of turning to God, they, well, Elkanah gets married to another woman named Peninnah. What happens is Peninnah becomes a rival of Hannah. Peninnah was the other woman, and she could have children. She had plenty of children. She gave Elkanah what Hannah could not. And for women like Hannah, this would make you feel less than. It's important for women in this day to have children. It was important, one, because it gave you a caregiver for the future when you could no longer take care of yourself. Number two, it gave you children to work the land so that you would have food. The more children, the more you could sell, which meant you had more money. And it also was good for the country, for the area, because it built up the military and the economy. So women who could have children, and a lot of children, were in high regard. But for Hannah, and women like Hannah, they were made to feel worthless feel less important, useless. And to add on top of Hannah's misery, Peninnah was provoking her, as the scripture says, pushing further and further, stoking the fire, making Hannah very upset to the point where she was weeping and refused to eat. Year after year, they would go up to the temple and and Elkanah would go in to worship God and give sacrifice and he would come out with portions from the sacrifice to feed the family But Hannah would not eat. Even Elkanah gave her a double portion to show how much he loved her, and yet it still was not enough. Hannah needed more. Hannah needed more. But not because she was selfish, but because she was made for more. And this is where we pick up the narrative with Elkanah and his family enjoying a meal together. So go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 9, and we're going to read to verse 20. Verse 9 says this, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
she, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Verse 12. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved. And her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am not uh, sorry, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of a great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Verse 19. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to the house of Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for these historical narratives that we can look to, to see through your eyes. And God, I, so I pray as we, as we look to this story of Hannah, as we look to her life, and God, I pray that we look to what she did in this moment. God, how did she find joy? How should we find joy? God, we praise you that you do hear our prayers. God, you told us, and we will be reminded today, that you answer the prayer of those who are praying in your will. God, we pray in faith. So God, help us, encourage us, convict us. Give us strength through your word today. God, if there's a decision that needs to be made, May today be that day. God, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look to Hannah and her specific moment here in her story, first thing we need to see is Hannah's decisive action. Her decisive action. Look at verse 9 with me. I'm going to read just the first sentence of verse 9. It says, After they had eaten and drunk and shallow, Hannah rose. Now you would read that typically and you would probably walk over it just like I have done many times. You look at that phrase and that sentence and you just kind of move on like it's nothing because all of us have ate at the supper table and when we were done, we got up and we went somewhere else. We didn't stay there, right? That's a normal movement for a human being. So for us, that's nothing out of the ordinary. So maybe we don't think about it as much. Because we do the very same thing. There's nothing special about it. But it really is. The two words in the ESV is Hannah rose. She didn't get up to go get in the recliner. She didn't go up, get up to go outside and tend to the yard. She rose. She made a decisive moment, a decisive decision here in action to say enough was enough. Hannah decided that something need to be, needed to be done. She cannot keep sitting here at this table feeling sorry for herself. So what does she do? She turns to the Lord in prayer. Look at verse 10 through 9. Verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to, the, to your servant a son, and then I will give, to him, give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Again, Hannah was deeply distressed and wept bitterly. She was so deep into her emotions, but was able to speak to God through, her, through herself. She didn't verbally say it, right? She was speaking within her soul and made a vow to God. Hannah believed in God. Hannah trusted God and knew where to turn in a moment such as this. She made a vow that if God would remember her and give her a son, then she would give that son back. Now, I want you to understand this prayer. Hopefully, we're all praying, God, give us a child that we can give back to you because we want this child to do your will. But understand the, the gravity of this prayer. Right? She is asking God to provide her a son that in a few years she would give back to grow up and serve just like a Levite. This is what you call a Nazarite vow. Numbers chapter 6 will give you greater detail on what a Nazarite vow is. You can look that up later. But what we know about a Nazarite vow is this. The vow is a commitment to separate yourself from any and all people in order to become a priest. Understand what I'm saying? You separate yourself from any and all people to become a priest, and one day God will send you out into the world to serve when the time is right. So what kind of vow is Hannah making in this moment? She is giving up all claims to her son in order to let him live in the temple and serve God. Before she even conceives a child, she is already committing her son to the Lord to give him up, to let him live in the temple, not with her, in the temple. Why would someone long for a child just to give them up? That's the question I have. It would make sense if Hannah prayed, God, provide me a child to help me with my future. God, help me have a child so I'll, my future is secure, so I can have people to help work the field so we can get by. But honestly, that would be a very self-serving prayer. And worst case would be downright selfish. Hannah prayed that God would give her a son that she could give right back to God. And my question to you is, have you ever prayed that prayer about your child? For those of you who have children, have you prayed, God, give me this child so that I can in return give them back to you? God, I pray for my children that I could, be, I could send them into the ministry. Have you ever prayed that your child would go on missions? I'm not talking about down the road. I'm talking about in a whole other place. You ever prayed that prayer? One of the things we do when we do a family dedication, we do family dedication, family commissioning. One of the things they have to commit to is to say, I will not be a hindrance if God calls my child to the mission field, to ministry, even to the furthest parts of the earth. I will not be a hindrance. Is that you? Because that's what Hannah is praying. This is what Hannah is doing. She wanted to so greatly that at one point Eli notices her. Look what Eli says. Verse 12. She continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. 
and only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And he said, and sorry, Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk with your wine away? But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Again, Hannah is moving her lips, not saying a word. And Eli thinks she's drunk, starts to rebuke her. Tells her to put the wine away. And Hannah's like, no, no, that's not me. I'm not doing that. I'm pouring my soul to the Lord. She was troubled. She was distressed. So much so that she couldn't verbalize it. She couldn't verbalize, audibly speak how troubled she was and how heavy her heart was burdened with this desire. Let me ask you, have you ever been in that moment? You ever been in that moment where you're so deeply troubled Deeply concerned that you couldn't speak. You knew you needed to pray, but you couldn't speak. My suggestion to you and my encouragement to you is this. When you get in that moment, pray. Wait a second, Pastor, I didn't told you I can't say anything. No, no. Hear me again. Pray. When you don't have the words and you are a Christian, that's the Holy Spirit's job to speak for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You don't know what to say? You don't know how to say it? Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit intercedes, intercedes on our behalf to speak to the Lord. All we need to do is to go to God. But many times, to go to God, there has to be decisive action. We can't be lazy and just think it's going to work one day. We can't just be lazy in our efforts and one day we'll go to God. No, there has to be a decisive action, just like Hannah, to say, I'm going to go to God in prayer. There has to be a moment when we say enough is enough. Something needs to change in my life. You know what needs to change in your life. Most of us do. You know the things you need to work on. You know the things that you're dealing with. You know what you should be doing. But yet, you're struggling to make it happen. At some point, we have to say enough is enough. I'm going to God in prayer. I'm going to go to God in prayer. I'm going to have de decisive action to give up the worldly desires and turn to God. I am going to quit playing games with God and I'm going to receive the salvation that God has clearly been telling me to do. This is taking that first step in the direction of God's will. This is what faith looks like. Taking that step, that decisive step, and not knowing where the foot's going to land. That's called faith. We like to walk where we know where we can step. But sometimes we have to go on faith. We take the step, we don't know where it's going to land. I thought about the many times when I was growing up, I used to walk around the house in the dark. Instead of cutting all the lights off in the middle of the night, I'd just walk around in the dark. And we had a set of stairs at our house, and I, I got pretty good about knowing where those steps were. I knew how many steps there were, I knew the direction, and I knew and I could feel when I was on that final step and I was done. I knew when I was at the top or when I was at the bottom. It was pretty easy for me to do that. But 
It is the middle of the night. And sometimes my pride made me miscalculate a step. Right? Some of y'all know exactly have done this before. And you're going up the steps. I'm going up steps to go to my bedroom. And I miscount. And I think there's an extra step. Y'all ever took a step up thinking there was an extra step but it wasn't there? What did you do? You made a huge leap and you stomped the ground, right? Because you thought you were going to stop before then. Or it was the other way where I miscounted and there was still a step. So guess what happened? I tripped and fell. Makes you a little weary when you're taking all these steps because you know it's human error. You're going to miscalculate at times. But here's the thing. When you take a step under the will of God in faith, you're not going to trip and fall. You're not going to fall over and get off balance. You take the step of faith, you may not know where the foot's going to land, but it's going to land. It's going to land where God wants it to land. That is faith. That is going to God in prayer. Knowing that I'm going to go to God, I'm going to have faith that God is going to hear me, and He is going to answer it according to His will. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how He's going to answer it. But I have faith God will do what's right. When we pray, we don't pray for selfish ambitions. We pray for the glory of God. Hannah prayed for a son, not to glorify her, not to give her social status, but to glorify God. That's why she prayed. She desired a son, but it wasn't for her. It was for God. And that prayer, church, led Hannah to joy. Look at verse 17 through 18. After Hannah had spoken to Eli, Eli answered in verse 17, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went by her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Notice what happens to Hannah after all this, and it's right there in verse 18 on the screen. What does that last sentence say? She went her way, ate, and her face was no longer sad. What did we already know about Hannah? She was so distraught she couldn't what? She couldn't eat. She couldn't eat. She was so distraught. She was sitting at the dinner table with her family upset, feeling sorry for herself that she couldn't eat. And here we are. Hannah is now eating. Why? Why? Because she is no longer distraught. She is no longer sorrowful. Why? Because she had been with the Lord. Notice, she has yet to even conceive the child. The conception of the child has yet to come. So she's already found joy before even conceiving a child. Why? Because it is all about the Lord. It wasn't the child that was going to bring her joy. It was not her husband or the food that was going to be her joy. No, it was God who gave her joy. It was because she experienced God that she found joy. Scripture tells us that her face was no longer sad. We talked about this last week. Some of us have this mindset that if something would change, some slight change in our lives... We would, things would be better. We would find a little more joy, right? If my spouse would do A, B, and C, then our marriage would be better. If my child would just do A, B, and C, our family would be better. If my parents would just do A, B, and C, things would be better. 
Listen to me clear. Joy does not come from a spouse. Joy does not come from a child. Joy does not come from a parent, from a friend, from a family member, from a job or a bank account. Joy does not come at the end of a beer bottle or a pill bottle. Joy does not come from a drug or a lustful desire. You will not find joy in changing your gender. You will not find joy loving someone of the same gender. You will not find joy in the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. You won't find joy anywhere else but in God. To go anywhere else to find your joy and satisfaction? I was just listening... I was looking on my phone, just passing time, and Vody Bauckham, some of you may know him, this pastor, great pastor, spoke on that very thought. He said, to chase anything other than God, to, to, to find your satisfaction and your joy in your spouse, in your kids, or anything else, he called it this, it's idolatry. To find joy only in your your marriage. If you think that's where you're going to find your joy, joy, you're looking for idolatry. You want your marriage to be joyful? You want your family to be joyful? It only comes from God. God ordained marriage. God set it into place. God's the one that gave you your children. God is the one blessing you with your job in your homes, in your vehicles. God is the one who gives joy, not in anything else this world can offer. Psalm chapter 4, verse 7. The psalmist says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. When the food and the wine was at its best, the psalmist says, Still your joy is greater. The food and the wine may be great, but your joy is greater. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Hannah found joy because she was in the presence of God. Heaven will be filled with joy because we are in the presence of God. You can find joy today by being in the presence of God. And I'm telling you, God is here. God is in this room. God is working in this room. And if you want to find joy, God is right here. He's not hiding. Joy can be found today in the Lord. You're not going to go out those doors and find it. You're going to find it in God. And those who seek the will of God, those who find that joy, will be rewarded. Look at verse 19 through 20. 19 says this, They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Hannah prayed in the will of God. God rewarded her with a child. She named him Samuel, which ultimately means heard of God, meaning God heard my prayers. God heard Hannah's prayers. 1 John chapter 5, 14-15 says this, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. 
This is the confidence we can have as believers. God will give that which is in His will. It is important that we remember that we are to pray in His will. Pray for what God desires. Pray that it brings Him glory. God's will was not that Hannah would have a child, but that that child will be given back for the glory of God. Listen to me. Go to God in prayer and He will answer. Yes, the answer may not always be what you want to hear because I've been there praying, God, give us a child, give us a child. And God kept saying, wait, it's not my will yet. I've got some things that needs to happen first. But my will will happen in time. Listen, God's will is perfect. You may be praying for something right now and it may not be a child, but you may be praying for something right now and it hasn't worked out yet. Things don't, they don't seem like they're in place yet. It doesn't seem like things are happening like it should. Listen, trust in the perfect will of God. In time, He will reveal His will and your prayer will change if it needs to. Continue to pray to the Lord. Whatever's heavy on your heart, go to God. Whatever's burdening you, Go to God. Pray that God will do something with it that will bring Him glory. Maybe for you today, it's simply that you need to be saved. Listen to me. There is no greater reward we can be given than salvation. The reward of a child is not greater than the reward of salvation. Maybe God has been convicting you lately. Maybe He's been pressing on your heart to make this decisive action by stepping out in faith and answering the call of salvation. Listen, God's greatest reward is salvation because it saves us from eternal death and hell. Hell is real. It's what we deserve. We deserve hell because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, including me. We've all fallen short of the standard that God has set for us. But praise God, He provides a way through His Son, Jesus, giving up His life for us. All that God asks in return is for us to believe in the resurrection of Jesus and make Jesus Lord of our lives. That's it. He says, if you will do that, if you will believe in the resurrection and you will confess Jesus as Lord, Romans 10 says, you will be saved. You can decide that today is the day. Enough is enough. No more running away. No more seeking everything else. You can come forward and say, I'm answering the call of salvation. But maybe you're in here and you already are a Christian. But you've got some heavy burdens going on. You're dealing with some things that you've been praying deeply for and you're waiting for it to come to fruition. But it has yet to come. What I'm going to ask you to do, what I'm going to encourage you to do, is I want you to pray right now. Don't wait till tonight to pray that prayer. Pray right now. Come to this altar if you're able. Bow before the Lord and pray to Him. Listen, if you don't know what to say, like, Pastor, I, I'd like to do that, but I don't know what to say. Let me tell you again. Simply bow at the altar and let the Holy Spirit speak. Listen, you can come to this altar and pray and never say a word. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit did it for you. You come up here, it's heavy on your heart. You can come to this altar and just simply bow down and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. But there is also another way. You can ask someone around you to pray with you. 
Listen, we've got to quit hiding in our emotions as a church family. This is not a place for the well. This is a place for the sick. This is a place for the hurting. This is a place for those who are grieving, who are burdened. And we are supposed to come together and pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, pray to one another, be vulnerable before the Lord and before our church family, praying together. Maybe you don't know what to say. Maybe you don't know how to pray in this moment, but I guarantee you there's somebody around you that could. Maybe you just need to take that person that's around you and say, hey, I don't, I don't want to explain it all right now, but can you just pray for me? Can you come to this altar and pray with me? That's what your church family's here to do. If you need me to pray for you, I'll be right here. If you need to make a decision of salvation, I'll be right here. But I would encourage you to come to this altar and pray. Give it to God. Cast your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. He wants to hear from you. But if you don't know what to say, Holy Spirit will say it for you. Churches struggle because they're not willing to be on their knees before the Lord. Churches are struggling because they're spending too much time picking up the mask for the day than to pick a spot at the altar to pray. I want to encourage you, if you're able, come. If not, right where you are, pray. Pray with your brothers and sisters around you. It is in prayer that we find joy. Joy is coming. Joy will come. But while we're here, we need to pray. Let's take time to do that now. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the day that you've given us. God, we thank you for baptism. God, we thank you for your word and what you uh, did through our Bible drillers uh, this year. Pray that their word is hidden on your word is hidden on their heart. God, I thank you for the worship that we were able to experience, to seeing that the grace is greater than our sin. The marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. God, that it was on Calvary. It was at Calvary that your, your son died for our sins, but he did not stay dead. No, he resurrected from the dead and is now at your right hand, Father God. But God, right now, we know that your spirit is in this presence. God, you are here with us now. And so, God, I pray that whatever is on our hearts today, God, no matter how big or small we might think it be, God, I pray that you would help us to turn to you, to fall on our knees in worship and prayer, to give our heavy burdens and anxieties to you, that, God, if there's a struggle in our marriage, we would come forward and confess it to you, God. If there's a struggle with our families, I pray we come and seek out, God, your help. God, if we're having trouble in our jobs, at home, wherever, God, I pray that we would turn to you in prayer now. That, God, we would confess our sins. That we would pray for one another and with one another. That we would take off the mask God, and we would just be vulnerable for a moment. Because when we confess, there is restoration. When we confess, there is redemption. God, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you as Savior, that God, that you're working on right now, 
God, I pray that they'll make that decisive action to rise just as Hannah wrote and come to a saving knowledge of you. God, we love you. We praise you for Jesus. And it is in your son's holy name that I pray. Amen.